I want us to get right into the Scripture this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to open to the 15th chapter of the book of uh, Romans. And uh, if you don't, uh, it will be up on the screen. There's about 13 verses there that we want to look at, and so we'll try to keep moving right along at a a more rapid pace. Uh, Old brains don't think fast, (laughs) but they do think in time. (laughs) Uh, Got a phone call from Seth. Seth is my 29-year-old grandson. I would say Seth is much more like a son to me than a grandson. We've spent uh, just uh, so much time together and shared life together, and um, I count him really as a son. Uh, Seth graduated from uh, Northern Arizona University, uh, oh, I think about six, seven years ago. And uh, he has a degree in philosophy. So I said to him, what are you going to do with that? (laughs) He didn't want to be a teacher or anything like that. And uh, he became acquainted with some firemen, uh, wildfire firemen. And so he became very interested in that. And so he started pursuing his career. So for the last five or six years, uh, he has been a wildfire fireman and uh, served out of, a, uh, out of Flagstaff, Arizona, and then came over to California up around Mammoth and that area and served there. Uh, the last couple of years, though, he studied very diligently. Uh, he wanted to become structural and get a job with the city because uh, um, wildfire season uh, is only four or five months a year, and so you have to supplement when you're not fighting fires. So he was very diligent, and as God would have it, uh, his desire was to stay in Flagstaff because he really loves that area. He's a single guy. And so uh, the door opened up, and he was in, accepted into the academy, and now uh, he's uh, serving his rookie year, and probably about another three or four uh, months that will be completed. <clears throat> so... Uh, he calls me maybe every week and a half or so, maybe a little more often than that. And he said, hey, Grandpa, I'm coming home from church. Oh, uh, he says, you know, I've been looking for a church, but he said, I, I think I found one. He said, um, it meets at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's called the Commons. And uh, he said, I really like the pastor. He says, he makes you think. And then he complimented me. He said, he's like you, Grandpa. And uh, he said, uh, he said, you know, he's uh, really very uh, trained and very skillful at what he does. And he seems to really know the Bible. And uh, I did go online, found out that he's a graduate of um, St. Andrews, Andrews, uh, University in Scotland, which is a remarkable school. So he obviously is, is scholarly. And so he says, you know, he, he, he uses big words. And he says, I really find it challenging. 
I said, well, for instance, he says, well, he was, he was uh, speaking to us about how to interpret the Bible, and was explaining that to us, and then he, 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 he uh, used a word that starts with H. And I said, was it hermeneutics? He said, yes, it was hermeneutics. Well, hermeneutics is just a big word for how to interpret the Bible. <laughs> And so then he said he was teaching from the book of Revelation, talking about the second coming of Christ and how things are going to wind down at the end of the age. And he used another word that I didn't recognize, and it starts with an E. And I said, eschatology? He said, yes. And, of course, that's the teachings about last things and about Christ coming again. So I said, here's our deal. I want you to, to uh, write down the big words, and when you call me, we'll, we'll see if we can find out what they mean. So it, it was really a, a great conversation, but um, the important part of the conversation, uh, and what, which has led to this sermon this morning, why church, is he said, Grandpa, you know, I've spent the last several years keeping myself in, in really good condition physically, and he does. He runs all the time. He works out. Uh, Seth is probably about six two, six three now. Um, just, just he, he just no body fat, just because of the requirement of being a wild firefighterman. He really stays in shape, and he's a single guy, so he has time to work out and do all of that. And then he says, you know, I've 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 really had to study hard to make it through the academy and and uh, be accepted into the program. And uh, he says, I've, I've really been taking care of my mind. But then he said something that really moved my heart. He said, Grandpa, I need to take better care of my soul. He said, I need to be in church. And I said, you're right. You're right. I agree with you. And I'm so happy you found a place that you feel comfortable with. Well, so that raises the question, why church? But before we talk about why church, I think we ought to answer the question, what is church? If you look at the Old Testament, uh, you won't find the word church, but you will find the phrase, people of God. It will go something like this. Abraham was called by God out of paganism. And he said to Abraham, I will make of you a great people, and through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And the prophets wrote, and the prophets said, speaking for God, if you obey me, I will be your God, and you will be my people. So you see, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, God's uh, followers, or those devoted to him, were called the people of God. When you come to the New Testament, there's a, a word, it's a Greek word, and uh, uh, it, uh, it, it, the word is ekklesia. It comes out of two words. Ek means out or out of. And kaleo, to call, so to call out of. So we have been called out of the world. We've been called to God for his purposes. So if you put that all together, we are the people of God called out of the world for the purpose of God. And that's what church is. Church must never, never be defined by building. This is just a place where the church meets. We are the church. So why then is the church important? And uh, uh, 
where do we fit in the scheme of things, and why is it important? So let me read a few verses for you, and then I'll make some comments. Uh, we who are strong must consider, we're in uh, uh, chapter 15, uh, first, uh, verses 1 through the middle of the third verse. We who are strong must be considerate of those who are uh, sensitive about things like this. So let me pause for a minute. You know, uh, the book of Romans uh, in the Greek text doesn't have chapter and verse division. It's just one long letter. And, uh, and Paul, being very logical and sequential in his thought, uh, just works his way through. So one uh, concept is built, uh, the next concept is built on what went before and then that which will follow. And so in the 14th chapter, there's a, 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 a problem in that um, uh, Gentile people are coming to Christ. And for the most part, Gentile people were not steeped in Jewish tradition, Jewish worship style. And so uh, they uh, uh, we're coming out of paganism. And a part of the paganistic practice was to bring uh, food sacrifices to the idols. Well, <laughs> Idols can't eat anything. They're just dumb. So uh, uh, they would take the meat or whatever was offered to the idols and bring it down to the marketplace and put it up for sale. Well, uh, strong Christians uh, who are, are strong in the Lord realize the idol is nothing. Just because it was offered to an idol didn't corrupt the, the, the meat. So there's no problem with eating that. However, Gentiles who are coming out of paganism we're really offended by that. They're very sensitive to it. Aren't you giving your stamp of approval on idolatry when you eat that meat? Well, Paul says, look, if it offends my brother, somebody that weak in the Lord, I won't eat meat the rest of my life. But then he also says, you need to grow up. Uh, it, it, that food's not corrupted because of this uh, ridiculous practice, but uh, you just need to grow up. And so, he moves over into the 15th chapter, and he writes, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about these uh, things like this. We must not uh, just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. So I would say the first reason you need the church and the church needs you is because it is the body of Christ. It's a mystical body, and yet it's a visible body. It's the only Christ that the world knows. And you are the Christ that the world knows. And we, uh, Christ is known through the church corporately, but also personally and individualistically. So that uh, Paul is encouraging the people to realize you are the body of Jesus Christ. Well, now, I'm thinking about the things that my body has been through, and indeed I've been through over the last eight months or so, and it hasn't been a time of vibrant health. Uh, we have faced major issues in our bodies. Uh, and I had been nursing, nursing this bad leg oh, since my early, late teens. I heard it playing football, and um, I could get around on it, but it progressively got worse, so that finally I decided that it was time for the replacement. Well, um, that uh, replacement was on the 15th of February. Um, because of the different meds I was taking, I just got terribly, terribly sick. 
very sick. Uh, <clears throat> but I could still hobble around because the right leg is still strong. So the right leg takes some of the pressure off the left leg, and I'm hobbling around. As it's getting better now, and my body is uh, becoming more robust and stronger, I'm more and more dependent on the left leg. But you see, one part of the body compensates for the other. Our church, our gathering, we people all go through issues, and we need one another. We need to support one another, encourage one another. And when you start thinking about the church, not as a building, not as a program, but as a people, you are my people. I'm one of your persons, if you will. We are intricately interconnected because we are in Christ, and Christ is in us, and we form his body. It was uh, <clears throat> a week ago, Saturday night. I probably was as depressed as I have been in my life, and I have been through some really trying physical things. And I just thought, I am never going to feel vibrant again. Uh, and uh, I was really feeling sorry for myself. I was sitting with my legs propped up about 6 o'clock in the evening and just thinking, I, I'm just never going to get any better. I, you know, you push through and do what you need to do, but I'm just never going to feel any better. Well, I get a call. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's my friend, Ed Brown. I met Ed Brown Oh, many, many years ago, he was a youth pastor in our church and when we pastored in the city of Orange, and he served as a, a lead pastor in Oceanside for, I think, 35 years, something like that, a long time. So we are connected with each other, and we have dinner every now and, again, uh, now and then, and he lives out in Palm Springs. He says, you know, I, I haven't been paying any attention to Facebook, but I went on, uh, went on Facebook, and he said, I saw what Anita had been posting. What's wrong with you? What's going on with you? So I brought him up to speed. And I said, Ed, all I can tell you is that I think I'm making progress physically, but I just am so depressed. So he talked to me and, uh, a bit, and he told me about his circumstance and his son's circumstance, which was very similar to mine, and they've already worked their way through it. So just in the conversation alone, it kind of lifted some of the cloud. And then he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, I, I, I don't know what you want to do long term in Ron's body. Uh, I know you have a purpose for him. But I do know this, and he said it with such faith, it is not your will for him to do, be depressed. The joy of the Lord is his strength. You want him to have peace. And that's just how he prayed, prayed very simply. I thanked him. He hung up. And it, amazingly, it, it, I felt a bit better. At one o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and my T-shirt was just wet. I had been sweating. Got up in the morning, and I just felt so much better and came to church. And I realized that probably for some time I'd been nursing a low-grade low infection. You know how that runs through your body? And that affects your emotions and your mind. It's been really a great week. And through that little simple prayer of my friend calling me and saying, uh, let me share my life with you, uh, how God used that. 
Do you understand how you're able to minister to one another? Anita and I are so thankful for you. You've prayed for us. You've called us and encouraged us. You've visited in our home. And we have been so uh, welcomed and felt like we are loved by this body. Uh, And I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But the second thing I want you to see in this text is not only are we the temple, are the, the, uh, the body of Christ, we are the depository of Scripture. Now let me read a, 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 another couple of verses. Uh, if you pick it up again in the third verse, it says, For even Christ didn't live to please himself, as the Scriptures say. The insults of those insu- who, in- who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as uh, we wait patiently for God's promise to be fulfilled. I want you to think of the the church as the uh, depository for scripture. Now, a depository, you know, the B of A is a depository. Wherever you put your money, you deposit your money there. Uh, a depository is a storehouse. Uh, it's, it's something, a storage uh, facility where things are stored, important things are stored. Uh, there's nothing more important or um, any more important to us than the scriptures. They're incredibly important to us. And we, the church, serve as an archive, a depository the scriptures. But not, not only is it an archive, it's a manual. Not only is it a manual, it's a pantry. I want you to think about an archive. Many, many years ago, I think I was 23 years old, and I began to read the Bible through every year. Then I stepped it up about 15 years later, and I started reading the Old Testament through a couple times a year, and the New Testament through about four, four and a half times. So I think I'm being honest when I say I've read through the New Testament 120 times or so. The Old Testament probably 75 or 80 times. And you're looking at an archive. I don't mean that to boast, but I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. I've hidden God's word in my heart so that I can bring words of encouragement to others. I've hidden God's word in my heart so I can use my gift of teaching to teach others of the goodness of God and how wonderful he is. And my real challenge for you this morning is you can be an archive. All you have to do is read the book, meditate on the part that feeds your soul because it is a pantry It's not just information stored. It's a a timely meal. It fortifies you. And then it is a manual. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, when I have a little project going on at home, maybe I'm working on one of my cars or uh, doing something around the house, I've recently replaced an ice maker in our refrigerator. So I went online. The little movie there, that guy shows you how to do it. So I thought, well, I'll just do it the way he did, and it worked. It was a manual. So the Bible, the Bible is a treasure that we 
we store. We store it in us. It's, it's a meal that we eat. The Bible is a manual for life and for godliness. How it must remain sacred to us. I thank God that we have a pastor who believes in the Word of God, who brings the Word of God to us every Sunday and uh, tries to make it as uh, entertaining as possible. But the main purpose is, can I get it down in their hearts? Holy Spirit, can you get this down in their hearts? Because that's where real life is to be found. So think of then the Scriptures as a depository. And give yourself to the Scriptures to become an archive of it. Give yourself to it so that you can be a manual. Paul says we are living letters known and read of all men. And then thirdly, that you can have others meet in due season. Jeremiah said, I found your words and I did eat them. And that they were the joy, the joy and the delight of my heart. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So then let me bring you to a third point. It's a rather lengthy read, but you follow along as I read, beginning in verse 5. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for the followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you will join, in, uh, in, uh, you will join together with one voice giving uh, praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant, to the Jews, to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, the heir of David's throne will come. That's Jesus. And he will rule over the Gentiles, and they will place their hope in him. The third reason why you need the church is it's the family of God. Now, when thinking of families, I can't help but think of my family, the Williams family. Uh, We are certainly imperfect. Some of us, uh, more than others, are dysfunctional. (laughs) Some of us are just weird. And I'm sometimes one of the ones that is weird. Uh, But we have traditions and rituals in our family. When our children were small, and then as the grandkids were growing up, nearly every Christmas, every Easter, every Thanksgiving, the 4th of July, the family would get together. We celebrated marriages and births and deaths. 
we mourn together, we grieve together, we rejoice together. It's kind of how family works. When one of us gets sick, needs attention, uh, we try to comfort and help and, 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 and make life easier for the person that's suffering. Because that's what families do. And we do it imperfectly. We do it, you know, sometimes uh, it's crazy-making. I've told people for years who wanted to come work for me on this church staff, well, you're going to see the church differently than you've ever seen it before. I said, you're on the outside. You see us at our best. If you come to work here, you're going to see us at our worst. You're going to see us when we're not in a good mood, we're not getting wrong with each other, and we're just pretty selfish. And if you're sure you want, want to take that on, uh, you know, I'm happy for you to do it. But you need to come in with your eyes wide open. Uh, I left the church in Orange, and I went, after 18 years, and I went to church and serve a church in Riverside. My supervisor said to me, and he was honest, he says, I, I, and he had traveled a great deal. I was fairly aware of 15 other churches. He says, this is the toughest church in our denomination to pastor. That wasn't exactly encouraging. But I know God had put it in my heart. That's what I needed to do. And I look back over those years, and it was a struggle. But God had so much in that for me. I could not be here today without the struggle of that church. Still connected with some of the people there just yesterday. One of the little boys in our church grew up to be a football coach and had a great job, wonderful family. It's a terrible automobile accident, big truck ran up the back of him, um, terrible spinal injury, um, um, paraplegic. Uh, and he called me, hey, pastor, how you doing? So we chatted it up probably for 45 minutes talking about my life, his life, what God's doing. And so those deep family connections in the church. Uh, this morning, Daryl Chambers called me. Daryl's been my comrade, and my, one of my closest friends, and really he's like a brother to me. And he said, Pastor, I, I, uh, I want you to preach the word this morning. He lives over in Orange County. So I wrote him back. I said, well, Daryl, I really want to, but I know if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint what I have to say, it's just going to be words. They'll just go out of my mouth and fall flat. But if the Holy Spirit comes along, he can take those words and apply to the hearts of people. He wrote me back, and he says, well, Pastor, I'm going to tell you what you would have told me. You are already anointed with the Holy Spirit, and that's just going to happen. So I wrote him back and gave him a thumbs up, and he gave me a dose of my own medicine. <laughs> but a timely word. Family. Family together. We are family. Well, let me talk to you a little bit about Pastor Rod. I've been fairly close to Rod now for seven years. Rarely a week goes by that we don't spend some time together. Most recently, uh, Kirsten and Jackie Lamb have, uh, uh, they're over uh, sponsoring a, a woman's uh, a Bible study at the Collins home. So Rod tells me, Kirsten won't let me be here while the ladies are here. So I'm bringing dinner over. So for the last Tuesday, two Tuesday night, we've, we've had dinner together at my house. That's usually Chick-fil-A. And, uh, well, what do you want? 
Well, I don't care. Just bring me anything. I don't care. Well, well what about a sandwich? Yeah, a sandwich would be fine. Well, you sure you want a sandwich? Yeah, that's, that's fine. What I would say about this man is that he's probably one of the more affirming people I've ever met in my life. He really goes out of his way uh, with the gifts of, of hospitality. And the sanctuary church reflects the leadership of its pastor. We are an affirming church. We are a caring church. And I think it comes from the head down. It comes from our leader, Pastor Rod. So anyway, he shows up the last couple of Tuesday nights. Now, Rod is hyperactive, if you haven't discovered that yet. Uh, not only are we eating our meal, we got the Dodger game on, and he's got his phone going. Now, I'm, I'm really singular. I can only do one thing at a time. And uh, so we pretty much talk church work. Uh, both times he's come, the Dodgers have lost, so I don't know if he can come back anymore or not. <laughs> but uh, the game's boring. You know, baseball's boring, except when they're hitting home runs. So uh, uh, we both got our feet propped up. He has his shoes off. I've got my shoes off. And I'm just chatting away, commenting on the game and other things. And I, and I realize I'm not getting any response from the guy next to me. He's, he's long gone. <laughs> he's just sleeping away. <laughs> and I well, that's a good idea. This is a boring game. I think I'll take a nap. <laughs> so two men sitting there taking a nap together. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> and uh, so that gift of hospitality rubs off on us. And so that kind of kindness is in our church. And I really thank God for it. And I thank God for Rod. I thank him for his faithfulness to Scripture. I thank him for his uh, uh, faithfulness to this congregation and how he served it with his whole heart. And I am so blessed to name him as a friend and a colleague. Well, one last thought, and let's look at the 13th verse. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of, loose holy, uh, of the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> what we know is that the church is the body of Christ. What we know is that it is the depository of Scripture. What we know, it is the family of God. The fourth thing we know from this text is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about a house and a home. I live over in Chapman Heights, and we, we really thank God for the nice home that God has given us. And if you drove by my house, you'll see that I have some pansies planted in the front yard. I try to keep the lawn green, try to keep it mowed and edged. Uh, we have a wraparound porch, and uh, I think the colors of the house are uh, they're original with the designer put on them, and I, I, I like those colors. But uh, you drive by, and, oh, that looks pretty nice. But then you go up the block, and you'll find one on the corner. It's just fantastic. It uh, makes mine look a little bit shabby. <laughs> and if you go through the track, you'll see a lot of really nice homes, uh, nice houses, I should say. But they're not homes to me. Home is what happens when I open the front door. Home is what happens when Anita's there, and 
she graced me with a hug and a kiss. Home is when my grandkids are there, my children are there, or my friends are there. That's home. Home is when we eat meals together. Home is when we hurt together. When we rejoice together, that's home. The Holy Spirit has made you his house. That's where he's come to live. And when he comes to live, it becomes his home. He's at home in you. And because he's at home in you, he has sealed you until the day of redemption. There is nothing that can pluck you out of God's hand because God's seal of approval is on you. You, you have been stamped by the Spirit of the God, and he has given you the deposit of himself, his Holy Spirit that lives in you. And because he lives in you, he equips you. He works in you both to will and to do uh, the pleasure, uh, works in you to both will and do the good pleasure of the Father. He energizes you. He comforts you. He directs your way. <clears throat> One last story. Uh, Joe Hanley Jr. is my nephew, and his wife is Vasilko. We call her Silk. Joe is uh, president of Asian Access. Uh, it's primarily a missions uh, work to Asian countries, but it is uh, spread out to many other countries. And so recently he was in Poland, just across the border from the Ukraine. And uh, uh, speaking with some Ukrainian refugees that are Christians that had come across the border. And uh, I said, well, what are they saying? Uh, he says, you know, they're very upbeat. They believe that God has scattered them because Ukraine is possibly the most Christianized country in Europe. He has scattered us so that we can go to other countries and bring the good news of the gospel. Isn't that a powerful statement? Vasilka uh, says to me, she says, you know, I'm hearing from Islamic women, and Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. And they're saying, he is so lovely. We've committed our lives to him, and even though we know it may cost us our lives, we don't care. We have seen Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's as if you're baking a loaf of bread and you mix the yeast in the bread. And, it, it, you know, it's flat at first and then it just swells up. I remember my mom making those wonderful buns she used to make for Thanksgiving. And they just blow up, you know. But that yeast is at work in it. Do you understand that? that the yeast of the gospel spreading all through our world, and I don't care how bleak it is here, there, or anywhere, the kingdom of God is going, penetrating this universe. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are making disciples of the nations, and that's one of the things that we're about at this church, is that we want people to come to Jesus Christ, we want to, them to grow up, we want to them to reproduce themselves and lead others to Jesus. So, coming to a conclusion, uh, we're going to uh, share communion together, which is one of the rituals of the church. And uh, uh, before I do, there's one more thought. And um, I'll be 83 in August. I was born in 1939. Uh, statistics... Uh, 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 
of, of the church and its attendance began about 1937. So let's say maybe 84, 85 years ago. And at that point in America, 73% of the people who called themselves Christian would go to church at least once a week, and generally that was on Sunday. We're now, what, uh, some 80 years down the road. Statistically, 37% of the people who call themselves Christian will find themselves in church on Sunday. Now, I don't think Sunday's any better day than any other day of the week because every day is a day we serve the Lord. But there are some traditions and rituals we're wise to hang on to. For 2,000 years, the church has honored Sunday as the day of the Lord. And I think if we neglect it, we do it to our own harm. I also think we have the ritual of baptism. And so when we're baptized in water, uh, to dramatize our faith in Jesus Christ, I think that's worthy of hanging on to. I think it fulfills the Scripture's desire and what Christ would want of us. And I think when we come this morning to the breaking of bread and the sharing of the the, uh, the juice together, the wine together, that we honor Christ and we do it well. And so this morning as we participate, I would like to have you just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you again about your surrender to Him and your commitment to the church for which Jesus died. And then we'll use that as a point of consecration this morning. The uh, elements are being passed up and down the aisle. You'll find baskets there. Scripture says that the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is being broken for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And when I hold the bread, I think again of Isaiah 53, where it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, or by his stripes, we are healed. The great healing is the healing of the soul. It's the means by which we are made right with God and have eternal life. And it is also a representation of our willingness to become broken bread and poured out wine on behalf of God's church, God's people. So would you, would you participate with me, please? And let's eat together. Likewise, he took a cup. And the cup had wine in it. You have some juice in your cup this morning. And there's not a significant amount of, of, of juice in there to serve as an uh, and antioxidant in your body. There's not enough there to even give you a sugar high. 
But boy, is it powerful because it represents the blood of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. There can be no forgiveness. But Christ was sacrificed once and for all at the end of the age. And his blood cleanses us from every sin, all unrighteousness, and makes us whole. So as we take the cup, the power is in its symbolism. It represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds us of what the scripture says. You've been redeemed at great cost. It was a cost of the life of the Son of God. So in honor to him, would you drink this morning? And as an act of consecration to his church. Well, Jesus, we rejoice in you today. We thank you for this precious time together. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in your church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.